0: I'm going to uh, read our text this morning. Can I get right into the text? And uh, then we will pray and continue. The text is Luke chapter 13 or 14, uh, verses 7 to 14. So Luke chapter 14, if you're following along, um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. When Jesus noticed that all who had come together, were trying to sit at the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave, Je- he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you is also being invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed, and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, Take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then, when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or rich neighbors, for they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then that the resurrection of the righteous God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. We're continuing in our series, Going Against the Flow. And I never imagined that I'd come up with another illustration of that, but I, I have one as of last night. Um... I like going to Ikea Because there's a lot of things that you can do and see and eat and we did all of that um, and, but what, what I'm really good at is following arrows Now if everybody would follow the arrows We wouldn't be bumping into each other Trying to get around each other through other aisles that we're not supposed to be in and so on but on this occasion um, It was going pretty well until we discovered that only for a brief period of time my granddaughter was missing just in Ikea, it was really busy, and so not being a contrarian kind of a person, there I was going against the, the arrows, doing everything that I could to get to the other side of the building to see what I could see and looking for my granddaughter, and of course she was found earlier, um, to the embarrassment of some of us, who went against the flow and walked right across, you know, the wrong way. So, I'm not sure about you, but when it comes to going against the flow, um, there are times when it's necessary in our eyes and legitimized by what we do. This morning, we're particularly talking about taking the back seat. And this parable is set in the same context as the previous passage was. It reflects what is happening in Jesus' ministry, and while the religious elite are having nothing to do with his talk about entrance into the kingdom of God, others, spiritual outsiders, if you would call them that, the poor, the sinners, Samaritans, and others, are responding to Jesus with faith and with repentance. So you've got this this opposite piece in front of you, that one wants nothing to do with Jesus. Others, that would feel not worthy, are being embraced by Jesus. So Jesus is still at the Pharisee's house for dinner. The man he healed was gone, gone home. And I quoted John Ortberg last time, and I want to quote another piece that I had read last time, and it is this. The Jewish leaders thought that they were going to watch Jesus. You will remember this some of you. It turned out that Jesus was watching them. They thought they were going to judge Jesus. It turned out that Jesus was judging them. And this was really awkward. The host who convened the dinner thought I hope whoever talks next picks a safer talk to- topic. Jesus talked next and he did not choose a safer topic. The theme this morning is this, most of us like to be appreciated by kind and thoughtful people. We'll really take that from any people, actually. God wired us with this healthy human need to be acknowledged and appreciated, and some of us, it's just something that we crave of affirmation in a healthy way. On the other hand, problem arises when we, ha- when we have to be noticed, If we have to be recognized, if we have to be appreciated, that's when we fall into this trap of elevating ourselves to a place that we don't belong and that ultimately we end up deeply regretting. But we do need to go against the flow of entitlement and arrogance and pride and of this excessive need to be appreciated. The problem, in a nutshell, is our struggle with self-importance. And you don't have to travel too far or walk too far to find people that are, uh, what's the old line, full of themselves. And they're very important people. Some of them never use signals on the highways um, because they don't have to. Because they're very important people. And when we see them coming, we should just get out of the way. There was one of those in front of me this morning. I think I passed him. No, I did pass him. And I used my signal twice. That was close. The need is to take the back seat. In our story this morning, Jesus reveals two important elements that balance our need for appreciation with our tendency to overreach to actually get it, which puts us in an awkward place. Element number one is our motivation. I believe that when it comes to motivation, motivation matters. Always matters. So I ask some questions. Why do you do what you do? You could ask that in a general way about every day of your life. Why do you do what you do? What motivates you in particular to need or want to be noticed by other people? Is it because it will benefit you, it will make you look good, make you feel good, maybe all of the above. Maybe because it will be good for your reputation or your social status. In God's economy, the right or righteous kind of motivation always leads to blessing of one kind or another, always. We might not recognize it at the time, we might see it in hindsight, but nonetheless, we are blessed when we do it God's way. Doing something to be seen or to receive something in return really robs you of any meaningful blessing because the actions that you're taking may, may basically diminishes the possibility of blessing in your life from God. Having no expectation of getting back is actually freeing and can be richly rewarding. Now, as much as it's easy for me to say that, then I read this from Jesus, from, from Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says this, love your enemies. Okay, there's a hard one. Do good to them. That's stretching it even more. And then he says this, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. So typing the text into my document and rereading this piece, I confess to myself, this is not always easy. After all, the book that I lent someone is my book. And when I lend a book to somebody, I write down who it was, when it was, and I have the list, and I track people down, and I want my book back. That's just a piece of me, an odd piece. But it's my lawnmower. If I loan my my lawnmower to someone, I actually want it to come back um, in decent shape, not from someone who's going to see how big big a stones it can drive over and those kinds of things, because it's mine, isn't it? My stuff. Truth be told, it is not my stuff at all. I'm really—it's on loan to me. God is the one that owns everything that I have. I have over—I think—thirteen hundred books in my library, and they all mean something to me because out of every one that's on my library. There's content that is filed so that I have access to multiple, multiple, multiple files of information. For, in this case, sermons. And so if one book goes missing, it literally affects my whole filing system. And you say, woe is you. (laughs) It's like getting to reality when it comes to stuff. It's just a book, right? It's just a lawnmower. If somebody breaks my lawnmower, I'll borrow someone else's. (laughs) I don't take care of it. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. This kind of thinking will take you out of your comfort zone. It will make you uncomfortable. It will make you question why you do what you do. And that's always a good thing. It's better than you do it yourself than somebody asks you to, you know, look at yourself and and analyze yourself. We don't like those questions either. Our story today has self-importance and poor motivation written all over it. All over it with the religious leaders. Luke 14, verse 7, if you're following. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to dinner were trying to sit, all of them, if you read that, all who had come to dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head table, and Jesus gave them some advice. So when Jesus noticed them, what his, he directed his attention to was that the guests were jockeying for position. Each one choosing what to them was the perfect spot and, to, and the closer to the action, the better. They just wanted to be close to somebody that they could rub shoulders with to be, so that other people would be impressed with them. Do you ever name drop? <laughs> Sometimes it really goes bad. Usually name-dropping is a, a sign of a lack of humility. It, it's like I need something from someone else, so I'm going to tell them who I know. And so the more I watch other people do that, it gives me more reason why I shouldn't do that. Um, because it, it's it's an elevation of yourself in front of other people because of who you know. And really, who you know, the only one that really matters is how, most, how much you know who Christ is, who is the one that's really responsible for you. The seats of honor near the head table, it says, and that's what they're aiming at. Literally the chief seat, the first place, always was in the center where they were seated. It was the place of honor. And the ones to each side of it that were considered the best places, the best seats at the table, were beside the one in the middle. right beside, imagine, imagine the arrogance of someone trying to grab this, a seat at the head table at a wedding, even just for fun. How long will you take for somebody to approach that person and say to them, uh, that's my spot? <laughs> and you probably would get, get out of that spot pretty quick, even if you were joking, it wouldn't probably be seen by some people that it was funny at all. When Jesus saw this, he gave them this advice. This giving them advice literally means he began to tell this parable. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the place of honor. Like to me, you should never have to be able to say this to anybody. It should be just kind of a no-brainer. But sometimes that's not the case. So Jesus is expressing a prohibition, implying that the action doesn't yet exist, nor has it arisen yet. But Jesus is saying, just don't even go there because you're thinking it, you're seeing it, you're looking for seats. And you're looking for ones at the top, somewhere in that's visible in front of everybody else. And then Jesus asks, what if someone more distinguished than you has also been invited? Now, if I was the guy that was jockeying for position and trying to get that really cool spot where somebody would notice me closer to this person. And Jesus is talking, and I read what, I hear what he's saying right here, that what if someone else more distinguished than you has been invited? um, There'll be a low-grade, at least a low-grade fear start to work its way up inside my system, Um, because I'm in a really awkward predicament here. The phrase, what if, is a clause where fear is implied, for fear that there might be someone more important than you, and the outcome is not going to be good for you. It won't be a blessing at all. It won't be something positive. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7 says this, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not Claim a place among great men. It is better for him that is the king to say to you, "Come up here," than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. Be very wise in going and trying to be a part of places of honor that really don't belong to you. Is what we're reading. The Greek writer Theophrastus, a pupil of Aristotle, gives uh, gives uh, one of the traits of an arrogant man this that he seeks the place of honor beside the host. Next time you're going to uh, even a wedding or where there's a place where it's a bigger gathering, watch where people sit. Watch who they're looking for because some of them have ulterior motives in why they want to sit where they sit and where they want to sit. For introverts, it's really easy. Um, Find us in a corner somewhere. I remember, uh, it was at West Heights um, when I was doing an interim uh, assignment there, and discovered that in the college-age kids, there's all kinds of uh, introverts, and I came up to them one time trying to be sociable, and, and uh, I'm, I'm afraid of teenagers. I'm kind of allergic to them, so I kind of break into their circle, and I said, we should start an introvert club, and, and from every one of them, I got this deer-in-the-headlights look. Uh, We're introverts. (laughs) An introvert, yes. Jesus continues. The host will come and say, give this person your seat. And this refers to a specific action of the host to come to get you, to talk to you, to get you out of that place. And by this time, everybody is watching you. We introverts also don't like to be watched by anybody, so we don't try to do a lot of things that would bring us uh, exposure in those things. But here, the host will say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed. How many of you love being embarrassed? Maybe only the ones at home. I don't know. Nobody likes to be embarrassed, especially if it's um, something that... We were part of creating ourselves. There is great embarrassment and shame in giving up that seat that you are in. One source says that honor and shame were pivotal values of the ancient Mediterranean world. A family's honor in their community depended whom they would marry, what functions they could attend, where they could live, and with whom they could do business. Everything was about honor. And if you weren't seen as an honorable person, woe is you because it directly affects your whole life. The public shame of moving from the first seat to the last in front of one's colleagues would be a humiliation worse than death. That's what one author says about their picture. I, uh, I've been embarrassed before sometimes at my own, uh, own doing. A little while back, um, I was in a mall, and I heard someone say, Hey, how are you? So I turned around to get the greeting, and I'm fine. How are you? And then I realized she's talking on a cell phone. I to go to go now. <laughs> have you ever done that? Somebody talks out loud, and you think it's about you. And it's like, oh, we are talking on the phone again. Public shame. And Jesus says in verse 9, you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of at the foot of the table. Wise is the one who takes the back seat to start with, for it avoids embarrassment of moving somewhere else that will look a whole lot worse on you. One commentator says that to move to the foot of the table literally means to move to the least important place in the building. Nobody wants to be there, but Jesus says it's the best place to start. And this is the second element we're going to look at. The second element that helps balance our need for appreciation with a tendency to overreach to get it is humility. Humility. I remember a college student that I was mentoring come to me one day and say, you know, I'm a whole lot more humble than I used to be. (laughs) And he didn't learn anything. If you have to tell them, you aren't. It's just kind of a, a, a law of nature. Humility is the opposite of self-importance that demands to be recognized. You and I could prevent a whole lot of shame and misunderstanding and embarrassment and all those negative words, even humiliation, if we would only accept and practice, especially practice the advice that Apostle Paul gives in Philippians chapter two verses three and four. Listen to what he says. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, and I would include humility of heart and of attitude, let each of you regard one another as more important than him or herself. And this has to do with anybody, not just specific people that you're safe with. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It's not all about you, but oh, how we make it all about us, because we're afraid if we get into their life, into their circle, into their story, it's going to affect us somehow in a way we don't want to, which is basically fear-based thinking. And we, we won't never do anything that's significant with that kind of thinking. But if you put others first, if you honor them as more important than you, uh, we'll find that we have inside of us, because God has put inside of us the capacity, His capacity to love others and to give of ourselves to others that doesn't drain us. It actually rejuvenates us, because we're giving what He's given us only on loan to bless other people. The best approach, the approach which balances healthy motivation and the humble heart, is found in Verse 10. Instead, Jesus says, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. He's literally saying, take the back seat. Humbly, willingly, without embarrassment, without regret. Then when your host sees you, he will come up and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Now, again, he's at the back of the room, Nobody is paying attention to him because everybody's looking forward at the important people. And this important guy, this host of this whole event is walking now toward him at the back. And it's kind of this reverse thing where he's making him very visible in front of everybody. He calls him friend. And he says, come with me, essentially pointing to him to come with me and you're going to sit here. We don't know exactly where he uh, was going to seat him, but it was in an elevated place because he deserved that place because of his humility of heart and of spirit and of mind. I have a better place for you. I like to be in that position, not we're going to send you to the last place. End of verse 10 and verse 11 says, then you will be honored in front of all of the other guests Humble people don't want to be in that place, um, but they have the ability to receive that gift, that welcome, that look from other people. Then you will be honored in front of all of the other gifts. So this is the point and this is the application in this verse that I'm going to read. Those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Exalted. To be humbled is to be made low. I don't like being made low. There's one place that I'm comfortable being low is with grandchildren on the floor and with people that have special needs where I um, years ago gave away my dignity and decorum and all of that and I kneel right on the floor with whatever I'm wearing and I want to look at them face to face and eye to eye. So I know what it is like to choose to humble myself and lower myself in a way that can be a blessing to other people. My perspective from personal experience and and one of the lessons of this story is that it is a whole lot better to humble yourself than to what? To be humbled. Being humbled is never fun. You would never tell your friends about it. It's something that you carry that you, ah, I got to learn from this. The one who humbles his or herself will be exalted, Jesus says, He's encouraging his followers not to seek honor, but to serve other people in humility. Make it about other people. Think about them. Serve them. Bless them with your actions. I want to ask, uh, say something to husbands. Uh, Maybe it would apply to wives in a reverse situation. I'm not sure. But husbands, ask your wife early in the morning sometime at the first part of the day if it works in your schedule what can i do for you today that would make your day better and when they come back to consciousness they may just give you a big old hug but it's an at home thing where we can start to practice things that jesus wants to do in a bigger way there's another i'm not i'm not here to give marriage advice Um, But there's one more that I learned was helpful. Um, When you wake up in the morning, and I'm speaking to husbands again, but when you wake up in the morning, the first time you lay eyes on your spouse and you're looking at each other, um, with all sincerity and humility, look at them and say, I'm sorry. Because that day you will probably need to do that anyway. That's free. And it really works that was so exciting, I lost my spot. So Jesus is telling this prominent Pharisee by what he's just said, go against the flow. So he's telling the Pharisee, doing things that he absolutely wouldn't want to do. One author says, clearly this is not to be taken as an absolute pro- uh, prohibition about inviting friends or relatives to a meal. Such language Um, Such language is common in Semitic discourse and used for emphasis. So when he says, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, neighbors, etc., um, he's saying that so that inviting one's friends and relatives, realizing that they cannot be classified as a spiritual thing. It's just hanging out with friends more than it's anything else. It also could be a rebuke against those prone to serve or reserve hospitality for their rich neighbors who know they will feel guilty and want to reciprocate. And so they continue to do it and continue to do it. Then in Luke fourteen thirteen, Jesus says this, which really challenges the status quo when he insists, instead, instead of the rich, instead of the brothers, the relatives, the friends, and all those people that you know and are expecting something back... Instead of them, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And it's just a sampling of the category of people that he could have invited to that place in that space. So for Jesus to tell this prominent Pharisee to deliberately invite malformed, defective human beings into his holy little te- temple, one author says, was a deliberate slap in the face Jesus was telling him to put on his guest list the people whose defects offended him. Make room for people not like you would be a good line. Jesus' crankiness and compassion came from the same source. His outrageous love for every individual and his pain when anyone was undervalued. I don't have to look far outside of the church walls to find people that are undervalued. They're unimportant, and in many instances, they're invisible. In all the stories of Jesus' compassion, we are never told that he had compassion on someone because they deserved it, never. Deserving it isn't the point, or not deserving it isn't the point. It was only because they were in need. Jesus always saw the one that was in need. Sometimes he ignored them, pushed them away, um, but still would enter interacting with them and doing such in essence, what they wanted or needed, because that was his heart. Matthew 25, you may be familiar with these verses. "I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink." I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers, you did for me. Every act of kindness, mercy, compassion that you um, meet out to other people in need, it's as if you did it for Jesus himself. Again, John Ortberg says that the idea that the least of these were to be treasured, that somehow the Jesus they followed was present in despised suffering, created a new vision of the human being. People actually took Jesus at his word. The outcome is in verse 14. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you, he says to this host. And And reward here means to pay back again, to pay in return, And it's speaking to the treasures in heaven that often in Scripture we are told in the New Testament. By doing the things that God loves to be done, like us caring for other people, the people that especially are overlooked people, um, God is very impressed with that. He's got a heart for that, and, and with it comes a reward at the end of the day. I'm going to leave you with two takeaways this morning. They're not up there on the screen. Number one, this week, before you make a decision, before you engage in work, or even have a conversation, do a motivation check. Do a motivation check. Ask yourself, why am I going to do or say this? It only takes a couple of seconds. And it doesn't take too long to determine why you're thinking what you're thinking. And it could prevent something down the road that day happening um, that could be negative, hurtful, or, or whatever. But do a motivation check. When you wake up in the morning, before you dive into your day and after you say you're sorry, just take time to ask Jesus to give you his humble heart and his humble attitude that disposition that's a part of him that he wants in your life that could be honoring and valuable to other people as you mingle with them, as you live your life for Christ in front of them. May he give you the heart of humility, the humble spirit that honors and values other people, even beyond yourself. Jesus, thank you for being with us today. We needed you here this morning, Father. You have things to teach us that are way beyond my words that only your Spirit can translate and help us to understand. Lord, would you give us a heart for people? Would you help us to see people in need, see through Jesus' eyes? Help us to realize, Lord, when we're getting too close to trying to be at the front of the line. Help us to take a back seat, God, in true humility, to do things, Lord, to get nothing back in return, but just to love people because you said to do that. And, Father, may we have stories next week that would just be so encouraging to other people because of uh, the risk that we took in trying to do something different, something better, something healthier, something that could be a real blessing to other people because we served, because we listened because we did, God, what you invited us to do. Thank you, Lord, for what you'll do. Um, bless us as we go, and may we be encouraged by your presence this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Coffee's on. Mingle. Enjoy one another's company. If you see somebody you don't know, don't turn away. Say, Hi, my name is. And hopefully it comes back. Bless you.